0: Good morning. How are we doing? We good? You're like, who are you? My name is Jake. Uh, I'm one of the pastors uh, at Veritas up in Cedar Rapids, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, I, I love coming down here. I get a chance to do that every now and then, and whenever I do, I always want to say thank you. Um, for your guys' just sacrifice and ministry allows us to have a church in Cedar Rapids. And uh, I thank you so many people that are hearing the gospel in Cedar Rapids. Thank you. So, uh, yes, thanks for your just pace-setting example of sacrificial ministry. Uh, It's a joy to be with you. I I didn't know I was going to be with you. Jeff called me Friday uh, to see what I was doing this weekend. But there are some circumstances that came up that uh, gave me the opportunity to be with you, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, If you come here every week, uh, you know you've been working through the book of Titus. Uh, Jeff just said, hey, preach whatever. So I was like, okay, I'll preach whatever. And we've been, uh, we've been working through the book of First Thessalonians in Cedar Rapids, so uh, that's where we're going to be, and uh, hopefully, I pray that it's a timely word uh, for you. I, I feel that it is. We have a text today um, that's going to deal with some heavy emotions that we feel that are probably fresh for this congregation. Um, Paul is, is talking about grieving the loss of loved ones. Um, And just this week with Anna's funeral and the reason that I'm here today is uh, so um, Mark and Letha could be with her mom in her last days. Um, It's something that uh, every one of us in this room know uh, an emotion close to us. And if not, you will um, as we we deal with um, grieving the loss of loved ones. And and Paul is, is writing to them, trying to provide some encouragement um, and how to grieve. How, how do you grieve or how does he speak into grief when, you, when you're facing the loss of, of those you've loved who have passed away? And uh, let me just kind of, since we're not working through this book together, let me just kind of catch you up on their situation. So uh, Paul is this uh, church planter traveling around, um, goes to Thessalonica and he preaches the gospel, and a lot of people, it says like a lot of Greeks and leading women kind of respond in such a way uh, that the, the Jewish leaders of that city kind of got jealous, so they went and recruited a mob uh, to run Paul out of town. They literally got a mob of people to stir up and like, let's get rid of Paul. They hid Paul. Um, And they ended up arresting some guy named Jason and kind of interrogated him. And while they're doing that, they snuck Paul out of the city at night. So that's kind of how this church got started. So Paul flees after a mob chases him out of town. Um, And after a while, he's concerned about how this new church that he helped get started is doing. So he sends Timothy back to check on them. He's like, they know me. I got wanted posters there. Why don't you go back? And I want to hear how these people that I love um, are doing. So Timothy goes and he checks on them. And Timothy comes back and gives a report and he's like, hey, they're, they're doing great. You'd be so encouraged. And then Paul writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, to them in response of what he heard uh, from Timothy. But, but they were, if you can imagine, uh, Paul fled because a mob chased him out of town. Well, these new believers, they still live there. They still live in this hostile uh, situation to the gospel where they're facing persecution and opposition, um, and for them, it could feel like, hey, Paul, you talked to us about a lot of good news about the Christ return and, and how he's our king, but it sure feels like we're losing now. And they would have definite like, reasons to complain. Like, it's not fair. I lost my job because of my faith. Um, I had a friend in jail because of her faith. I have, my spouse lost his life because of my faith. Like, they're in the midst of persecution. And uh, Paul is, is looking to fuel their hope. <clears throat> have you ever uh, felt like you're just running on empty when it comes to hope? You just feel like... I, I don't feel like coming to church. I don't feel like singing. I don't, I don't feel like staying married. I don't feel like obeying. I don't, like I'm at my wit's end. I, I just feel like I'm running on empty when it comes to hope. I, let me ask you this. How many of here would want more hope? Look at most of you are like, you're so depressed you can't even raise your hand. I just like, I'm just done. I gotta, I can't even raise my hand. Yes, like hope is a, a good thing. Everybody wants hope. Like we, 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 we hunger for hope. Well, how do you fill up on hope when you feel like you're running on empty? Like, how do you get more hope in you? It's like, I need more hope. How do we fill up on hope when it feels like we're running on empty? And we get this concept like when it comes to cars, like our cars run on gas, or we're in Iowa City, so maybe yours runs on electricity. Um, but you know, either way, like, it's gonna last so long, and you either gotta recharge the battery or you gotta refill the tank. Like, uh, after a while, it's gonna run on empty, and you can't continue to go Unless you put more into it. Well, how, how do you fill up on hope when it feels like, I don't, I don't feel like I have anything left in the tank? How do, how do we put more hope in us? And I think Paul's going to point us to some directions on how to do that. And he's looking for them, this kind of tells you where we're going, but he's looking for them to have an emotion that is not just driven by their current situation, but by also their future situation. Paul's looking for them to have an emotion that's not just driven by their current situation, but also by their future situation. So let's try to figure this out together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 13. I love to hear the turning of pages. Let's go. All right, you're cranking me up. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. Now, when he says asleep, he's talking about those who have passed away, those who have died. Like, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who, who have passed away. And he says, brothers, like, I want you to know, he's talking uh, to believers about believers. So if you're here this morning and you would consider yourself a believer, these are meant to be words of, of informing you for your comfort. Um, he's talking to believers about believers and the, the idea of those who have fallen asleep. Like, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have passed away. And that's the issue of like, Not being informed, like there's an ignorance that he's trying to say, like, hey, we need to avoid this. I want you to understand something. I have some truth that I want you to grasp. Now, you may claim a a belief in God, but you may be missing an understanding about the things of God or the truths of God. And I'm amazed as a pastor of how many people can grow up in church and spend decades in church and still be uh, in the dark or uninformed about the things of God or the truths of Scripture. Like, just kind of miss the gospel. What's central? In fact, there was a a neat man. A month ago, I I did his funeral. Uh, His name's Doug. And uh, neat guy, big hunter, fisherman man. But um, a year ago, he was in my office and just dealing with some depression and just hurting um, and kind of walking through, talking through some of his life stuff. And um, I just, I asked him, I said, Doug, if you were to die today and you stood at the gates of heaven and they said, Doug, why, why should I let you in? What would you say? And Doug started to give a very common, ignorant answer. I mean, he just started listing his credentials. Well, I've really tried to be a good dad, and I've, I've really worked hard to do, do nice things, and you know, I haven't done that. And he just starts laying out like his case for his entrance into heaven. I was like, no, Doug. It, that's not how it works. Like, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And we, we walked through the gospel, and as I did that, I remember him sitting on the couch. And he's, this guy grew up in church. He was an altar boy. And, he, and we walked through the gospel, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he just said, I've never heard that before. How, how do you not How do you not get that? Like we can just kind of be in the room, we can sing the songs, we can even do our daily, and sometimes we just miss. He's like, Paul saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about some things. Like, there, there are implications to our ignorance, even when it comes to how we grieve, and there are implications to our understanding, even when it comes to how we grieve. And it was needed at his funeral, I got to share the story of like, no, hey, Doug was not <laughs> uninformed after that day, and embraced Christ as a Savior. Paul's writing to these people who are grieving. He's like, I don't want you to be uninformed about these issues. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And here's why. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, there are people who have no hope. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. But he's talking to brothers. He's saying, you have hope. That's not you. There are people who don't embrace Christ, and they have no hope apart from Christ. But you embrace Christ, so you have hope. Like, I don't want you to grieve like that. Now, Paul's talking to them about how they grieve, not the fact that they are grieving. It's like, yes, grieve. But I want to press in on like how you, I want to critique your grieving. I want to instruct your grieving, like how you go about grieving. Because you don't grieve like everybody else who has no hope. You don't, you're not supposed to grieve like people that think this life is all that there is. You're going to grieve, but you're going to grieve differently. And listen, you got, it's important to hear this because elsewhere we're going to go because we're going to kind of press in and challenge how we grieve. But I want you to hear this first. Christian hope does not ignore grief. Christian hope does not ignore the hard things of life. It doesn't push it to the side and just say, don't worry about it, Don't, don't shed tears over it. No, no, no. Grieving is not wrong. But Christians should grieve differently. They should grieve with people that have hope. And here's why. Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's where he goes first. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now listen to me. Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything. Don't be uninformed about this. Like when you're dealing with the grief of a loss of a loved one, when you're facing the death of fellow believers, you need to take your attention your mind back to the death of Jesus. Because there's something that, that happened on the cross and the empty grave that impacts how we face death today, how we grieve when we deal with death today. Don't be uninformed about this. Jesus' death and resurrection accomplished something for us. <clears throat> you guys ever heard of the term double imputation? Okay, so you might be uninformed. I'm going to inform you about something. This is great. This is really timely. Um, so here's what happened on the cross. Like Jesus took a penalty that we deserved. Like our sins were imputed onto him. Like he paid a penalty that was meant for us that we deserved. But the double part is like his righteousness is imputed onto us. So he pays for a penalty that we should have paid for, but we get the rewards that were meant for him. We get his righteousness, but he took our sin. And when that happened, that changes death for us. It changes how we see death, which changes even how we mourn when we talk about death. In fact, there's a, there's a passage that I just absolutely love. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. and the whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection. And he gets to this part towards the end where he's actually talking trash to death. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, um, starting in verse 51. We'll get a running start to it. He says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We like mysteries, right? Give me an amen or something. Okay. We shall not all sleep. Again, he's talking about death, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, you're gonna hear some trumpet talk in this text as well that we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for the imperishable body must put on Im- for the perishable body must put on imperishable. And the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that was written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is what Paul's saying. It's like, death, you don't scare me anymore. I'm not afraid of you. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting, death? You don't scare me. And here's why. The sting of death is sin And the power of sin is the law. Like there is a righteous standard that God has that's laid out in His law. And the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is violating God's righteous standard. So here, put it this way: you know what's really going to sting about dying? Not actually dying, but standing before a holy God as a sinner. That'll sting. That's the sting of death. That's what we need to be concerned about. How am I going to explain my sophomore year of college to a holy God? Like, that's going to sting. Like, there's things that we have to answer for. And he's saying, that's the sting of death. But it goes on to say this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like there's something that Jesus did and accomplished on the cross that takes the sting of dying away. And if it takes the sting of dying away, it changes how we grieve about death when it's a believer. Changed everything. In fact, there's there's a story, perhaps you've heard it. There's a a man and his his son. We're we're just going on a a drive one afternoon on a gravel road and the window's down just to kind of enjoy some father-son time. And a bee flies into the car, and the son starts to panic because he is deathly allergic to bee stings. And he just starts flipping out, and he's crying, and he's just scared, and he's screaming. And the dad's just like, what do I do? I can't get this bee out there. Finally, the dad reaches out, and he grabs the bee. Well, the bee stings him, and he lets go, and the bee starts buzzing around again, and he's back in the kid's face, and the kid's screaming, and he's crying, and he doesn't know what to do, and the dad reaches out his hand to the son, and he shows him, and in the palm of his hand is the bee's stinger, and he says, son, that bee can't hurt you anymore. You don't have to be afraid of that bee anymore. Like He's still going to buzz around you, but there is now no more reason to be afraid of that bee. Or as Paul puts it in Romans, there is now no more condemnation. Like he took the sting out of death because he paid for our sins and he gave us his righteousness. Therefore, we don't have to fear standing before a holy God, wondering if we've been good enough to be accepted. We have confidence that we'll be accepted because of what Christ has done on the cross. And if it changes how we see death, it changes how we grieve when other believers Die. Look at verse 14. Let's keep going. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or those who who have died. So, even so, it could be translated uh, in the same way. So, when we think of Jesus' death death and resurrection, in the same way, even if we die, we will have a resurrection. Like there is a, a bodily resurrection for us in our future, and it happens through Jesus Christ. Um, Raising somebody from the dead is a power that Jesus has. He displayed it in his own resurrection, but he also displayed it uh, in the resurrection of a friend before his death. If you remember Lazarus, uh, he got news from from, from some friends that, hey, your buddy Lazarus, he's sick, you need to come. He doesn't come in time. Lazarus dies. But then uh, in John 11, he says this, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. He doesn't fall asleep, he's died. And they go to the tomb, and there's a stone rolled in front of it already, and Jesus like, remove the stone, and Jesus is like, no, it's been too long, he stinks, the body's, he's like, no, remove the stone. Jesus wins that argument, right, they remove the stone. He's like, Lazarus, come forth, right? And he gets up and hops out of the grave, like all bondaged up in his, his burial garments, Because he just wakes him up like he was taking a nap. Like, it's Jesus' power over death. Like, he did that easier than I could wake up my teenagers. Johnny, come forth. Nothing happens, right? (laughs) But he has that kind of power over death. Like, it's just like, and he's like, there is a resurrection in your future. Death is not the end. Like, here's what we need to know, guys. Jesus' victory is our victory. Like, even so, in the same way that Jesus beat death, through him, he will give you victory over death. Death is not the end. Jesus' victory is our victory. And knowing that changes even how we grieve. He says, don't, don't grieve like people who have no hope. That is not who you are. But notice what else Paul says in this verse, that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What does he mean bring with him? In this section, uh, Paul gets into talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a major Christian doctrine. We don't believe that Jesus just came to kind of uh, live a good life and be a good example and show us how we should live our life. He is a conquering king. He will return to make all things new and set things right. Like that is foundational what we believe. Okay, yes, yeah, somebody got it. The rest of you didn't. But uh, <coughs> verse 15. This is. Let's keep going. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord. Now. And what what Paul's talking about here is is very similar to what Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discord on Matthew 24. Like, hey, this stuff we're teaching you, this is from Jesus. This is stuff Jesus taught. So he's he's passing this on. It says for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's an order to these events that are coming that Paul wants them to be informed about. Like, listen, just because you have died doesn't mean you're going to miss out on this. The dead will rise first, then, then those who are alive. Like he's going to get into that, but but there's an order to these events. So here's what I think happened. Paul uh, establishes this church in Thessalonica. Uh, and, and then he sends Timothy back to check on it. And in that gap of time, some of these believers have died. Maybe due to persecution. And maybe they're confused about the second coming of Jesus. Like, what's going on, Paul? You, you told us that, that Christ was coming back. Well, my spouse passed away. Does that mean he missed out on this? Paul's like, no, 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 no. You didn't miss out on this. Death is not the end. Like Jesus has power over death. The, the dead will rise again. In fact, look at uh, verse 16. So for the, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's an order of these things that I want you to be informed about. I want you to understand that you need to know this is how it's going to unfold. Now, this may be one of the noisiest passages in the Bible. There's a cry of command. There's, there's a trumpet blowing. And Paul is using language to talk about Jesus returning the, uh, to earth the same way a king would enter a city. So he's got a commander who's going to give a loud command. Somebody's going to bring a, a, you know, blow a trumpet. And he's kind of got a parade of soldiers. And like this is how kings enter cities. And he's saying, hey, that's how Jesus is going to return to earth. Because he's our king. And when he comes back, he's going to come back in a way that is undeniable that's our king. And everybody's going to get it. Listen listen to me, guys. The the return of Christ is going to be the best day ever for some. For some. And it's going to be the worst day ever for others. If he is not your king, he will be your enemy. When you think about it, when when the return of Christ, who before he ascended into heaven was murdered and beat and spit upon and mocked, he's coming back. And if you don't see him as your savior, your lord, your king, then he's coming back on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, with an angel army behind him. And that's not going to end well for you. But for a persecuted group of people. Even the idea of the way that Jesus is going to return is such good news. Because this persecuted group of people, they feel powerless in their society. I get no justice. Uh, this is unfair. This, what I'm dealing with, is, like I can't take it to the judge. Like, and he do like I don't get treated fairly there. Like, what am I going to do? What what options do I have? Oh, there's another judge coming. I'll wait. Like, nobody's going to get away with this. Like, my king is coming, and he's coming with justice. And like, well, you'll never live to see the day. Okay, well, I'll rise from the dead and see the day. Like, how much hope does this good news provide? Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 17. He continues to kind of unpack the order of these events. Then after the dead and Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. It's another good spot for an amen. <laughs> All right. Uh, he, he's talking about being caught up in the clouds. Now, if you've going to spend some time in Christian world a little bit. That uh, What he's talking about here is the rapture. It just kind of means being, being caught up. It's this, this idea of when Jesus returned, you know, the dead in Christ, they're going to rise. Uh, if you're alive at that time, you're going to be caught up. You're going to rise too uh, and meet uh, the Lord in the air. Now, uh, there is some debate on when this happens. Good and godly people uh, disagree and come to different conclusions on this. Some people think that uh, There's there's, the dead in Christ will rise, and then if you're alive, you'll be caught up uh, to be with Christ in the air. But then there's like a seven-year tribulation that happens, and then you come back uh, for judgment. Other people see this as just one event, Uh, like after a period of tribulation and trial and difficulties, uh, the dead in Christ will rise. Uh, If you're alive, you'll be caught up to be with Jesus, and then he kind of come down and do judgment. That's the correct view, but you can talk to Mark and Jeff later and kind of fight that out. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing. Don't don't get lost in that. Either way, either way, what everyone agrees on, uh, I'm just a guest speaker. Who's, okay. Um, what, What everyone agrees on is that from this point on, we will be with the Lord forever. Now, it can be fun to try and figure out, not just fun, like it's in the scripture. like We should study the scripture, but to kind of like understand Bible prophecy and, and Daniel's like, what do the toes mean? And then you get to the Olivet Discord, like what's Jesus talking about? And then you get in Revelation, you got dragons and all the kind of things, and you're trying to figure it out. And it could be fun to do that. But there is a caution to it. In fact, uh, if we would keep going in this section, Paul gets into this caution about times and seasons and trying to figure out. And the, the danger is that you actually miss the point Like, here is why Paul is writing this. Look at verse 18. Therefore, this is why I'm telling you, this is the conclusion of this truth. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Now, here's what I think is, is happening. In the face of their grief and their hardship and their persecution, their theology is not informing their emotions. Have you ever been there? Where it's like, I believe this, and I feel this, and they don't really line up well. Like I believe that God loves me, but I don't I don't feel like God loves me. I believe this is good news, but I don't really feel like celebrating. And what we believe and what we feel don't really line up. And they believe in Christ. But Paul's critiquing how they grieve because it's like you it seem like you're grieving like people that don't believe in Christ. Like it's not lining up. I don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope because that's not you. You have hope. Now, what you believe needs to kind of more inform how you feel and how you respond. And it's not wrong to grieve. We do grieve. We're, we're supposed to grieve. hearts should break for that, but we do grieve differently because we have hope. And Paul's sensing that, hey, I think you're losing hope. When it comes to hope, maybe you're running on empty, which is completely understandable. If you're in this persecuted situation where you just feel like, I just throw in the towel, like I'm done, I got nothing left, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of going to work every day in that situation. Like I missed my loved ones. like this, I'm just tired of it. It seems like they're losing hope. Someone once said this, they said that if faith, if faith is hearing the music of heaven, then hope is dancing to it now. And Paul's like saying, "I don't, I don't think you're dancing." The report I got from Timothy, it, it, it seems like your circumstances have really taken your joy. and uh, it doesn't sound like you're dancing. We have a, a new driver uh, in our house. Uh, my oldest just got his license. And I'm not supposed to use my kids' names in, in a sermon. Otherwise, i got to give them a dollar. So let's just say his name rhymes with Boses. Um, <coughs> save me a buck. Uh, so Boses just got his license. And uh, he, he, he's, a, he's like a typical new driver. He loves, you know, getting in the car and he's doing that. Um, but he, he doesn't like get, putting gas in the car. Uh, so, like, parents, you know, like, you kind of get in the car after your teenager is always on empty, like, conveniently. Uh, that's not mo- like, he, he doesn't want to put gas in the car. He likes to drive, but he doesn't like to put gas in the car. And I'm like, buddy, if you don't learn to get comfortable putting gas in the car, your days of driving are going to come to an end. And that's not even a punishment. That's just how automotives work. Like... <laughs> If you don't have gas, like, you can't you can drive. It's, it's going to come to an end. Like, if you want to continue to drive, you've got to figure out how to fuel up the car. And listen to me. You have got to figure out how to fill up on hope. Because this life is hard. And there will be so many things that will suck the hope out of you. And if you don't know how to fill up on hope, you're, you're going to tuck her out and throw in the towel. It's going to be you coming to church for a while, sitting there, hurting, feeling like, I don't don't feel like singing. I don't even want to be here. And if you don't know how to fill up on hope, there's going to come a day where you're not here and you just stop coming. If you don't know how to fill up on hope, there's going to come a time where you're sitting across the table from a pastor or connection group leader, just ready to to embrace disobedience. And they're going to be pleading with you to make a different choice. Like, "I'm, I'm done with this marriage. I have nothing left in me. I'm spent. And you're just going to want to quit. We have got, listen to me, guys. We have got to know how to fill up on hope. Because if you don't, there's going to come a time where you just throw in the towel. The good news is Paul gives us some instructions on how to do this. This is what he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. What are these words about? Jesus died and rose again, and he's coming back. With these words, that's how you fill up on hope. This is what you need to be encouraged by. It's the gospel. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. This is what he accomplished. This is what he promised. Like he's coming back. And if you're uninformed about this, then you're gonna you're gonna be on empty soon. As soon as life gets difficult and, and trials come and grief overtakes you, you don't know how to fight back. Like, you've got to come back to this. Jesus died. He rose again. He's coming back. Like, here, here's, what, here's what Paul's putting out. He's saying, your current circumstances need a view of your future reality. Like, I know your current circumstances are difficult. But from where you're standing, you need to have a view of your future reality. You can't lose sight of the promises of God. You can't lose sight of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and in the empty grave. Like you, especially when times are hard, like you come back to this, you, you dwell on this, you can put it this way. Uh, we find hope in hard times through faith in our glorious future. And, and here's why I say faith. Look back at verse 14. Uh, why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? Or why are we supposed to have hope even in the, the face of grief? Verse 14. Um, so before they says, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope for or because like here's why we have hope in the face of grief since we what? Help me out. We what? We believe. We believe like, like our hope is connected to our belief. You can put it this way if you're a note taker. Faith fuels hope. Faith fuels hope, like when it feels like we're running on empty, I got nothing left. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like obeying. I don't feel like showing up to group. I don't feel like being around those people. I don't, you know, I don't feel like we're just done. I'm spent. Life is too hard. I'm overwhelmed. I've tried. I got nothing left. Like when we feel like we're running on empty with hope, we have to, hear me now, we have to come back to what we believe. What is it that I believe? Like, I know how I feel, but what what do I believe? I believe that Jesus died. I believe his death was sufficient to cover my sins, that in his death, he took the sting out of death. I believe that that tomb is empty and that he beat sin, Satan, and death. I believe that he's coming back for me, that he's gonna come like a returning, conquering king. I believe he was gonna wipe every tear from my eye. I believe that he's gonna make all things new. I believe that there's gonna be no more sick, death, mourning, crying, or pain. Like you dwell on that, it's like, okay, this is how I feel, I'm gonna come back to what I believe. And you dwell on that, it's like, okay, I know that song. I know that song. Like turn it up in your head, dwell there. Like that's the music of heaven, like I I know that. Like this, this is who Christ is, this is what he accomplished, right? Jesus died for me. He rose from the grave. He will return. It's like, okay, I can start dancing that, right? Maybe it's country line dance for me. I don't know how to get that. (laughs) But it's like I hear the music of heaven, and I'm going to play it in my head over and over again until I can start dancing to it now. Faith fuels hope. And we have to dwell on what we believe to fill up on our hope. And we all, we all dwell. What most naturally our dwelling falls into is I'm going to dwell on what's grieving me. I'm going to dwell on what's frustrating me. I'm going to dwell on what's troubling me. And Paul's saying, hey, don't be uninformed. Like, turn your attention and your focus and your understanding on this. Dwell on who Christ is, what he accomplished, and what he promised. And you will fill up on hope. Guys, here's what we need to do. We feed on the gospel to fill up on hope. And here's the instructions where it gets practical. That happens best in community. What did he say? He says, encourage one another. Like there are times where you're gonna have to feed somebody else this good news. In in church community, there's times where you have to put hope in someone else's tank because they're just hurting. And he says, encourage one another with these words. So it's not just this empty call to encouragement. Like, you can do it. Keep it up. You're doing great. No, you're not doing great. And you can't do it. Jesus did it. This is not about encouraging you with you. This is about encouraging you with Jesus. He did it. He accomplished it. It is finished. He's returning. He will make all things new. And we have to constantly, frequently, like often come back to this truth because life is hard. Life is hard. But our future is glorious. Even if you passed away, you will, you will rise from the dead. And that glorious future is still your future. Christ beats sin, Satan, and death. That hope. I hope for... For us in this room, for you, for for this church, Veritas, Iowa City, that you would be a hope-filled people, like a hope-filled people. Not that we don't take serious the heartaches and hurts of this life, that we, we mourn with those who mourn, but even our grief would be seasoned with hope like the Psalms of Lament where you're just dealing with some really difficult things, but every time somewhere in the middle of the psalm, the psalmist is like, but God. But God is my refuge. But God is faithful. And for us, even at the funeral home, even in the hospital room, even in our tears, but God. But God beat death. He took the sting out of death. But God rose from the grave. I'll have a resurrection in Christ. He's coming back. it be a butt God. Because I'm telling you, church, the greatest impact that you're gonna have on your community may come not as things get better in our world, but as things get worse. And people outside of this community look at you and see how you suffer and how you grieve. That you can be people who don't grieve like everyone else. But even in your grief, there's hope. So may you be encouraged by this truth. And may you encourage one another with it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, um, I think of um, families in this church that are grieving. I think Galitha. I think of Noah. I, I pray that you would. You would be a comfort. A peace that transcends all understanding. <clears throat> I pray that even in these times, their hope would be fixed on you. That you would remind them by their, your spirit what they believe. That you died and you rose again. And even so, in the same way, death is not the end for us. And whether coworkers and friends and family around them that don't know you would look at them in their grief, they would see hope, hope that is greater than sin Satan or death, hope found in Jesus. And may you be glorified because of it. We pray in your name. Amen.